yesterday and got a few lights up, but uh, I usually wait till it's 20 below and I get out on the roof with my fingers freezing off and uh, that, that's usually when I, I'm not like my neighbor who does it like at the end of November on a nice mild day, but uh, I'm sure uh, many of you are getting those things together and it's a, it's a nice thing. We often say about uh, brightening up a, an otherwise dark winter, it's nice to see uh, uh, lights and light displays and uh, uh, that's always great to see and uh, some people are very creative, some people are very inventive, some people are very extravagant when it comes to their light and when you can see it from outer space, I think maybe uh, that's a lot of light. <laughs> um, but uh, some people enjoy that and they plan all year uh, for that. But the Bible uh, speaks of light and it's very appropriate for us. Uh, to think about putting lights on in the darkness and uh, dressing up uh, the uh, an otherwise gloomy winter. And that has a long pedigree in the Word of God, of course, and because it speaks of not just trying to brighten up a gloomy, cold season, but it's, it's pointing us to Jesus, the light of the world. And Jesus did not invent that. We uh, we find Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, of course. We find uh, uh, Jesus being called the light of life in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John. But Jesus is only saying what hundreds of years of Scripture said would be the case concerning Him. Now that's wonderful. That in many ways, Jesus didn't make any of these things up. He didn't just go around saying, I am the light of the world. Or I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was basing everything he said on hundreds of years of what was said would actually happen and would come. And so, the prophet Isaiah here, uh, seven or eight centuries before... Uh, Jesus uh, appeared is forecasting this coming. Now what is the context of Isaiah? Isaiah was writing in a very difficult time. Under Uzziah, under uh, uh, Hezekiah, and uh, 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 the other king, which is I've frozen in my brain, um, starts with an M. I'll come up with it in a second. Uh, once my those little guys in there start getting back to work, I'll have it for you. Uh, um, oh. Anyway, it was a very dark time, and there was a lot of evil and uh, 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 idolatry in the land. And Isaiah was forecasting Manasseh. Thank you, Manasseh. King Manasseh, he was a terrible king. He, he offered his children uh, to Moloch on, on the altar. Uh, so it gives you an idea of the context in which Isaiah was prophesying. It was in this context that Isaiah was telling about these glorious things that were going to happen. He forecast the captivity of God's people, that they were going to go off to Babylon. He says, He's basically saying this can't last. This level of evil cannot exist for too long before God moves in and judges. So you can see the patience of God, can't you? 
that for hundreds of years God put up with that kind of evil in the land. Uh, I mean, imagine doing that kind of thing. And that's what Manasseh did. Uh, and um, so he, uh, uh, God was calling forth that there would be a time of judgment coming. And that's what a lot of the early part of Isaiah is about. But then Isaiah also forecast the time when they would come back into the land and that God would begin to restore them as a people. But in, in forecasting that, he, he wasn't satisfied just to say, well, I'm going to send you off into a foreign land and then I'm going to bring you all back and things are going to go on the same as they were. But when God begins to explain the restoration, He goes above and beyond simply a, a, a physical or political restoration. He takes us into the future by hundreds of years, and then He takes us into what we know as the new heavens and the new earth. So as the prophecy of Isaiah comes winding down, it doesn't terminate in that piece of real estate over in where what we call Israel now. Although some might want you to think that. It doesn't, God's plans don't end with that territory. But Isaiah keeps on going to the new heavens and the new earth, which is basically what is being described here in this chapter. He is describing a level of fulfillment that cannot be contained in history as we know it. And so he, it's, it's a, a level of prediction that's bursting its banks. We've seen floods, haven't we, out in the Fraser River. Uh, it's interesting, I just looked at Fraser when I said the Fraser River there. I don't know if, it, if that means something or not, but <laughs> I, I was just looking at Fraser when I said Fraser River. I didn't plan on that, though. <laughs> the Fraser River, we've seen overflowing its banks. And uh, uh, the, the water spreading into homes in a very destructive way. But in what we're finding here, it's not a, a destructive overflowing. It's a glorious overflowing. And that's oftentimes what happens in prophecy. That there's a, that there's a, a, a fulfillment that cannot be contained in the shapes and situations that we have in our present world. And he is talking about a level of restoration here that uh, takes us into the new heavens and the new earth. Where it talks about there being no more violence. Where it talks about an eternal peace. Where we, it talks about nations getting along with one another and bringing their glory into the kingdom of God as it tells us in, in the book of Revelation. We know that on this side of eternity, those things will not be a, a, a reality in a full sense. So we look to something else. But the beginning of that has already begun. It has already begun and the prophet called his people to look for it. Now again, please remember that this glorious chapter was written in the reign of Uzziah, 
and uh, Hezekiah and Manasseh, all those kings. And Manasseh was an evil king. And then you can imagine darkness over a land. And things had gotten down there pretty well. And yet Isaiah has the gall to write in this way. If we were writing about the future of our world, not knowing what we know in the Bible, we wouldn't be writing these things. We would be saying, well, the way things are going, it looks like this is going, it's going to be a very bitter end. But the prophet, in spite of all the evil that was going on around, said there's something wonderful coming. And he promised that here to the nation and to the world by saying, Arise, for your light has come. So Isaiah sees the glory of God in the uniting, not only of the nation of Israel, not only of the people of Israel, but the world. It's a worldwide agenda. It's a worldwide cosmic plan that God has. Because of who He is. He is a God of love, a God of peace, a God of justice, a God of righteousness. And these things will be manifest in the world that He has created. And so it only stands to reason, doesn't it? If God is this way, and if God made this world, then we can expect by natural uh, uh, processes, and by, by logical processes I mean, that these things will be one day a reality. And so he says, arise and shine. And we're going to look at that here in a moment. For your light has come. Your light has come. Now, this is what we find when we go into the New Testament where light is going off all over the place. Uh, with the shepherds in the fields. Uh, it tells us that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And that the heavens were filled with God's glory. That when Jesus goes into His ministry... It's described in this way in Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, in northern Israel today. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a great light has dawned. So even there, when it talks about Jesus coming to a district in Galilee, it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. So even there you have this picture that it's not just the Galilee of the Jews. 
It's the Galilee of the Gentiles because that area was made up of people from different nations who had come to settle there. And so it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. But on them, a great light had come. And that light was Jesus. He is the great light. And that's why it says from that time on, in verse 17 of Mark 4, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's this explosion of revelation, an explosion of light concerning the character of God, of the holiness of God. And so Jesus is saying, we must repent of our sins. You must repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And so Jesus begins to shed light on things around Him and around us. John says the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus says again. Whoever falls, follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is exactly what Isaiah is driving at here when he says your light is has come. He's speaking of it in the present tense as if it were already realized. That the people in Isaiah's day were to have that hope in such great quantities, it's as if the Messiah had already appeared. Because the promise of God was as good as it actually happening. And so the people in faith, looked forward to the Messiah. You see, we look back. They were looking forward. They put their hope and trust in this Messiah who would come. Not only a conquering king, but a king who died for his people. And so they were taught to, to put their trust and hope, that to say, our hopes don't lie in ourselves, but our hopes lie in the Lord. He is going to be our righteousness. He is going to be our deliverer. He is our light. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Jesus is the light of God. What a wonderful thing light is. That's why we slap them all over our house, inside and outside. You may even wear them on your clothing, on your tie, or on your hat, or on your sweater, or wherever it is. We love light. Light is not only convenient and attractive, but it's essential for life. Where would we be in this world if there was not the light of the sun? And he says, shine for your light has come. God is directing us to a light that is different from all other lights. You would say, well, I have lights all over the place. I've got the light of the sun and the light of this, the light of that. But he says, no, there's something unique about this, so much so that it's called your light. And how essential that was if it was told us centuries before. We begin to put more weight and more stock in this. Because God opens up for us through His Son those things which are necessary for eternal life. 
Do you understand that? Do you, do you believe that this morning? And God is saying it is your light. Your light has come. How often people sleep in the light. What an awful thing to see. You go to get somebody up in the morning. You turn on the light. And you go back in. They're still lying there. The light's on. And you say, how, how, there's work to be done. That You have to get up and get going and so on. And you, you see this light is there to awaken people, to drive people into the day, to take the responsibility of the day. Jesus has come to do that. God is saying to His people, even in the darkness of the society in which Isaiah was writing, it says, look, arise and shine, for your light has come. And this light will show the truth of who God is. Show the truth of who man is. Show, shed light on what man has really done and what he is capable of doing and what he, is, what he does every day. So that we can own up to our own sin. We can own up to our own fallenness. But He also sheds light on His love and His grace. And that light was already there in the book of Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53. So there, you have light, don't you? It says that you're a fallen sinner. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That's light, friends. And it's, it belongs to us then to embrace that light. Not only that, but it is glory. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. If we were not excited about what He says about light, and we should be obviously, because light, as we've been seeing, is essential to physical life. Life is essential to our going about our daily functioning as a world. But light is absolutely necessary in knowing God and having a saving relationship with God. But he, he goes farther than that and he says, this is your glory. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And in truth, he's speaking again about the same thing and the same person. Just as Jesus was the light of the world, so He is the glory of Israel. That's what we find in when Simeon took the Lord Jesus Christ up as a baby. In Luke chapter 2, for my eyes have seen your salvation. There's light. My eyes have seen your salvation. What was it? He was holding a little child. He was holding baby Jesus in his arms. I have seen him. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. There is the universality in the nations that Isaiah talks about here. 
A light for revelation to the Gentiles. There's that light again. And for glory to your people Israel. Again, Simeon wasn't making anything up. But he was going back to what the prophets said would come. He was a good Bible student. He was standing on the shoulders of Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these people. And he was saying, glory has dawned. It wasn't the glory of political liberation. It wasn't the glory of having more wine and having more grain and having all the good things of life. Because as we saw last week, they were an oppressed people. And so their glory lay in the fact that they were recipients of God's own Son. Remember what Paul says in Romans 9, to them belong the covenants, the worship, and to them came Jesus Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That was the glory that rose upon the people of Israel. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And so the first utterance out of the angels in heaven when they appeared to the shepherds was glory to God in the highest. There was a manifestation of God's glory. But it didn't lie, you see, simply in the outward display of light. Oh, angels, oh, I see. That's where the glory is. No. The glory, God's glory was seen in the person and work of Jesus. The glory, says John, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace. Forgiveness. Mercy. That's where God's glory lay. Even on the cross. Where Jesus of Nazareth hung, forsaken, bleeding, cut to death, slain Lamb of God, forsaken by all His friends. And yet, there we see the glory of God's forgiveness. The Son of God hanging on a cross. Because only God can bear the judgment of God. And so it had to be God manifest in the flesh. Come in the flesh. But that's glory for us, friends. No matter what else you may have or not have in your life, this is your glory, and glory has dawned upon you. That's the glory of Christmas. That is the light that we celebrate. It's not in outward displays. Because many of us have not seen that kind of outward display. But if you have known God's forgiveness through Jesus, if you've known His peace, if you have the, the assurance of everlasting life in your heart today, then glory has risen upon you. The glory of God is in your heart and in your soul. That's what He's getting at. Because that's what they needed. They had the temple. They had one of the eight wonders of the world in their midst. Do you know what they didn't have? Righteousness. They didn't know of God's forgiveness and mercy. 
They were an evil, backslidden, adulterous, materialistic people. That's the glory they needed then. And the song, Isaiah goes on to describe it. The, the turning away of violence. That, that, that the kingdom of God will be a place where there will be no more violence. Where there will be peace. Where there will be righteousness. And all of these things. Have you had God's light? Have you, have you known God's glory in your own heart? That's what he's talking about here. And he goes on to talk about how that glory is then uh, 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 expressed among other nations. You see, it was never all about Israel. It was never just about them. But right from the very beginning, God said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was always a universal program. It was never one nation. It was never one people. And that's what he celebrates here. The diversity. We often hear that today, don't we? Diversity. And it's often an imposed diversity upon society. You can't impose diversity. But the kingdom of God is diverse because it's taken from nations of every sort. Look at what he says. Verse 6, A multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels from of Midian and Ephah, all of those from Sheba shall come, down in the south. They shall bring, listen to this, gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall, come up, they shall come up with acceptance on my altar. The coastlands, verse 9, shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar. Their silver and gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because He has made you beautiful. Now God is not interested here so much in the physical gold. Now, he's, he's, he's using that language figuratively to say that the kingdom of God will be enriched as God begins to draw the nations in. Now, there was a literal fulfillment there when Jesus was born, wasn't there? Because these three wise men came from the east, bringing with them gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were the first fruits of the nations coming in. They were the fulfillment of Isaiah 60. Before anyone had really recognized on a wide level, God called these three wise men from the nations and said, you come first. Bring your gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they got to Israel. They got to Jerusalem. And Herod, so full of himself, so full of his own agenda, he was troubled and all Israel with him, all Jerusalem with him. They, they weren't looking for it. They weren't expecting it. But God whistled to these wise men to come 
And they came bringing the glory of the nations with them. That's how we know it will be fulfilled on a cosmic scale. We often say things that are hard for people to believe and accept. But all you have to ask is, has it happened before? And you look and you say, yes, it has happened before. The dead have been raised before. The nations have brought their glory into the kingdom of God before. And we know it will happen on a wide scale. And so he says, finally, I think that clock has stopped. It's five to one on that clock. It's five to twelve. We've got five minutes. And I'm going to use every one of them. He says, finally, arise and shine. If these things are so, if your light has come, if nothing less than God's glory has risen upon you, friends, please, think about that. Meditate on that. That glory has risen upon my life. Nothing short, not a crumb from God's table. Not a little bit of this and a little bit of that to keep me happy. But nothing short of the glory of God has risen upon me. Christ within, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. I have been washed in His blood. I, am a, I have been given a kingdom. I will live forever. Nothing short of glory has risen upon me. Then it says, arise and shine. Now there may be many of you here this morning for whom these things have... Are, he, he, he says to Israel, your light has come. To unbelieving Israel. To unfaithful Israel. These things are your inheritance. Will you not see them? Will you not embrace them? And I would say to you all this morning, if you have not yet come to a true knowledge of these things, to, to, to hear God saying, these are yours. I'm giving them to you. I'm offering them to you on the condition of faith alone. Arise and see the glory that God has put in your midst. Not everybody in the world has the opportunity that you have this morning of having God's Word before you. And as I said last week, of having godly parents or grandparents or whoever, however you find yourself here today, know that this is God offering all of these things to you. And so Paul says in Ephesians, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Don't let another Christmas go by when all you have are lights and gifts and you have not seen the glory. When you've not seen the true light that lightens every man. When you've not seen the, love, the true love that brought salvation down to earth. Don't let another second go by. Not another Christmas. Don't let another second go by. But now in your own heart, say, Lord, cause Your light and Your glory to dawn upon my own soul. Help me to 
see it, to receive it, to walk in it. But to our, us who are God's people, for whom these things are a reality, we too must reflect these in our own lives. Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what He was calling the nation to do. That's what He calls us to do in the light of God's mercies. Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Arise and shine. And reflect the love and the grace of the God who saved you. He says in uh, Colossians, which we've been studying, Colossians chapter 3, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You see how you are to arise and shine? Because if God's forgiveness has shone down on you, you must then reflect that to other people. If God has been compassionate and kind toward you, you must be the same. You must be like that moon up in the sky. It's just a big old rock, but it shines so brightly. And that's the way we are. We are to shine, the ra reflect the radiance of the Son of God in our lives. And that comes by beholding Him. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That means that that can happen in your heart and in your life. That you can be transformed from one degree of glory. Not just a little bit of knowledge or enlightenment every so often, but you're going from one degree of glory to another. Till ultimately one day you will be like Him for you shall see Him as He is. That's the prospect that is held out before us in this chapter and in the Word of God. That is the hope of Christmas. That's what this season is all about. Nothing short of God's light has come and His glory is risen upon you, but is also manifest in you. That was the hope that Isaiah wanted to see for the people in his day in 8th century Israel. That's what Simeon waited for. The consolation of Israel. The, the, the comforting of Israel. The hope of Israel. And that's, you see friends, what God is seeking to do in each one of you today. That you might know His light, but that you also may know his glory. Let's pray.